Santa Claus. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get serious here. Disclaimer. <laughs> no, no, honest disclaimer though, because ah, we don't getting real. Yeah, well, okay, we're gonna be serious here. <laughs> it's not that serious, but if you're under the age of let's say 12 years old please do not listen to this podcast. If you are a parent and you have a child who's under the age of 12 years old, maybe listen to this one alone because we are talking about Santa Claus today. That is a great point. So we're going into the origins of Santa Claus, where the idea of Santa Claus came from. Where, where did you think Santa Claus, before like reading into it at all, where, like, like, did you have any idea of where the legend of Santa Claus came from? So I thought St. Nick which turned out to be the case. And I think we'll spend a decent portion on this St. Nick character. And I will say before researching Santa Claus, I was a little concerned that this would be a don't meet your heroes situation. Like I was concerned we were going to read about Santa Claus and find out he was like some warlord with slaves who were elves who would just like terrorize kids. And that's where it came from. It would just ruin your childhood. So I'm glad that that was not the case. He's a, dare I say, a pretty jolly fellow. But I was kind of very interested to find out that Santa Claus is just a combination of so many ideas and cultures and different people bringing their own thing that it's like this completely separate entity that has evolved through the combination of so many people's ideas, thoughts, and different beliefs and cultures. Yeah, I, I, that's definitely something that I came to realize was that Santa Claus is like you're saying, he's like this global consolidation of all these different ideologies. And he's this legend that has stemmed from all these different backgrounds and they've all come together in their own ways to kind of describe the Santa Claus as we know him today. And when I thought of St. I was like, Oh, St. Nicholas. I didn't even think about sainthood or anything religious or anything like that i just i guess from my childhood i always just thought of him as like this jolly figure that i guess was related to christianity in some way yeah and so i agree i don't think i ever thought of santa as being a saint i just knew like they called him saint nick so i figured it probably derived from that but santa as a figure is just this jolly pure good giving character which is what he is absolutely what he is he, he, <laughs> which is what he is it turns out in the in the pace in the case of paz not wanting to meet his heroes he met this hero and it turns out santa claus is a saint <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah even better than i was hoping so on that note i say that we could take things back all the way back to the fourth century a.d that is where the namesake of santa claus a.k.a. Father Christmas, a.k.a. St. Nicholas, a.k.a. St. Nick for short, a.k.a. Chris Crinkle, which I kind of thought was like a weird, and we'll, we'll go into that later where Chris Crinkle came from, but Chris Crinkle, I, I never thought that made sense. Yeah, Chris, Nick, like what's going on here? Also, another name, Papa Noel. The names for Santa Claus are endless. There's so many. So if we go back to the, the 4th century A.D., that is where this whole kind of legend starts. We're in Myra, which is modern day Turkey. In the fourth century, we're in Greece, Catholic Greece. Nicholas is, at this time, he's a bishop. Mm -hmm. Born an orphan. Born an orphan. Mm -hmm. Was he, bo but I, I thought I read, 
<laughs> You're laughing. Uh, but I thought correct. I read he was like the single child of a wealthy family or something okay, like that. Yeah, yeah. I want to correct correct that. No one's born an orphan. He was born, his parents died, he became an orphan, and then his uncle was a bishop and he lived with uncle. But yes, he was very, very wealthy. Wealthy, uh, yeah. Through his parents and family. So familial wealth, but his parents did die. Yep. A generous man. By all accounts. A protector. A disciplinarian is kind of how they described it. He was like a protector. He was a disciplinarian. He was really generous to the poor. He loved giving gifts to people. Yeah, and a lot of like handmade gifts to children, so they say. Which is uh, very thoughtful. One example of when he was extremely generous to the poor was there was this family. It was a single father. The father had three daughters. He was very poor. Couldn't afford dowries for them to get married at the time. If you had a daughter and she wanted to get married off into a different family, you need to provide a dowry. He was unable to do so. So, Nicholas. Yeah, and it was a big deal that he couldn't because they might have to go into sex slavery. I heard one of the oldest daughter was going to go into sex slavery, prostitution, to give money to the younger ones. Like, it's a bad situation that he doesn't have a dowry. kind of sucks for the times. Yeah, uh, sex slavery, prostitution, like, things, things are not going to go well if, at the time if you couldn't, if you couldn't have your daughters married, married with a dowry. So... Nicholas finds out about it. I think he like overheard the father talking about it and what Nicholas does because he's wealthy and he's a bishop and he's just a great all around great guy. In the middle of the night, he goes up to the house. He's got a bag of gold, sticks his hand through the window, drops in the bag of gold. Boom. First dowry, oldest daughter. She then has a dowry and she, she can get married. Another night, Nicholas comes in again, another bag of gold. Hands through the window, drops it down. Second daughter, dowry, able to get married. Third night, this time the father waits, waits up. He's trying to figure out who is this? Who is dropping this gold through the window? And he finds Nicholas. Nicholas didn't want any recognition for what he was doing. He was really just trying to be helpful. It's kind of indicative of like who he was and why he was so celebrated literally until today because he really just wanted to help people who were impoverished. And he wanted to be generous and he wanted to spread his wealth. And I mean, probably he thought about the whole dowry, sex slavery thing. And was like, that's bad. <laughs> A man ahead of, its, ahead of his times. <laughs> the fact that <laughs> it takes a saint. <laughs> all right, can we pause? Yes, there, all right. Can we pause? Talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> talk about the elephant in the room, that it takes a literal saint <laughs> to be like, maybe <laughs> the fact that you can't just like give money to somebody to be willing to marry your daughter is like a bad thing. Like how does yeah, it take yeah. a saint to be like, man, that's not, and it's not like he even went up to the other side and was like, maybe you shouldn't expect a dowry from this poor family. Yeah, He yeah. was like, no, no, he's like, I'm going to give you the gold because like, if there's one thing we know, it's that the dowry is needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's wild times. <laughs> yeah. Sign of the times there. But oh, yeah, that's a it's a big example of the fact that that Nicholas at the time was very celebrated as mm-hmm. a bishop for his generosity to the poor and for the fact that he was always helping people in need. He like was known for doing because I guess to be a saint you have to like perform miracles. Mm-hmm. 
which I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. So on that, yeah, to be like canonized in the Catholic church as a saint, you have to perform miracles and they like try to check and make sure they actually happened. I mean, I'm probably a a little cynical, but regardless, St. Nicholas, a great guy. Did you get what happened to to the third daughter? He had placed the gold in for the first two daughters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The father found, yeah, the father waited up and found out that it was Nicholas. And that's how the story spread. Also, that's a classic kid move too, is to like wait up to see Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) Did did you ever try? Did I ever try to wait wait up to see Santa Claus? This could be like a good, like little side segment here about maybe when you found out that Santa Claus, again, if you are 12 years old, please turn off this podcast right now. (laughs) Pause, pause, pause. When I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real, because it was kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. It was basically like, I mean, anybody out there who celebrates Christmas, you think about Christmas Eve, and then maybe you open presents on Christmas morning or stockings, or depending on your family, maybe you um, just have like breakfast or, or whatever. You have your Christmas day celebration. And so in my family, we would, we would go, go to bed on Christmas Eve and then we'd just wake up on Christmas morning. But we like any presents that we had were typically like underneath the Christmas tree by that time. But my dad, he said that when him and his family, when they would go to bed, like there would be nothing out for Christmas. Like they would have typical family decorations, but when he would go to bed on Christmas Eve, there would be no Christmas tree. And then Santa would bring the Christmas tree. When your dad was a kid? Yeah. His parents like put up a tree and presents and everything all in one night. So there would be no presents under the tree. There would be no anything. It would be like the living room just sitting there. They'd go to bed on Christmas Eve. They'd wake up Christmas morning. Tree, fully decorated, presents under the tree. How the fuck did his parents do that? Like, if parents, I was him, I would believe in Santa until I was like 14. Like this is like, no way parents can I do make this. him tell the story like over and over again because I just can't believe that he would go to be- uh, he would go to bed and then his parents would bring in a Christmas tree, decorate it, and put all the presents under it. Like I don't, they, they might've had like presents wrapped and like hidden somewhere in the house, but that was like the magic of Christmas for them. Wow. Was that Santa would bring the tree. That's impressive. Cause just setting up the tree, if you haven't done it, it's like a pain in the ass. You're going to swear multiple times. Like things don't fit. The fact that you're doing this all at night and then you're putting the presents under it and you're decorating it and you're not making a noise. So your kids don't, you're wake not up. sleeping. You're not sleeping. If that's what's happening. Like it's a, it's a long process. Wow. So, but that was yeah. what, but as far as me personally, mm-hmm. so when I, when I found out that Santa wasn't real, it was basically, it was one of those situations where you're waiting up for Santa Claus and we'll go into more about, because like as a kid, you're, you're putting out the cookies and you're, you put out the milk and things like that. And that like goes on and on and on. And then one year, I, I, I this is my memory. I almost feel like maybe I just didn't actually believe in Santa at this point because I like just like walked downstairs one night on Christmas Eve and I just like walked in the living room and it was like my parents wrapping gifts <laughs> and I was like, Oh, <laughs> this doesn't sound very, yeah. I think it, it may be like, I think maybe like the, 
legend of Santa had kind of diminished at that point where it was like Santa did yeah. the stocking and then my mom was like putting the stocking together <laughs> and I saw it and that kind of ruined it for me. But I think the number one thing for me was that my mom has very distinct handwriting and the presence from my parents, like she would sign them mom and dad and I could read her handwriting. And then the presence from Santa had the same handwriting. Yeah. So it was uh, like, I think eventually I just kind of figured it out. Yeah. Astute from a young age. How about you? Yeah. So for me, there were a lot of clues. I think the biggest was I was like snooping in my parents' closet and I found a present that was like from Santa. It already was addressed from Santa. It was way before Christmas. And at the time I was already very skeptical and like, I think I'd already given up on the tooth fairy, you know, like maybe I, I found my mom putting money under the pillow or something. And I do remember my grandpa was home for Christmas and he was doing everything he could to convince me. And he put up like a good fight. (laughs) (laughs) So he was like, (laughs) he was just being like, like trying to come up with reasons for everything. Yes. Like, and you know, you can, if you like want to point to magic and miracles, you can come up with a reason for anything. Yeah. And so that's good by your, grandfather this is kind of this is like a further side note about just like the magic of christmas yeah so i was talking to people about santa claus and whether or not it's beneficial to be telling your children great question that have you have you read about this at all about whether or not it's beneficial to tell your children that santa claus is real I'll give my opinions on it. It seems like you really did a deep dive into the literature, <laughs> psychoanalysis. But I like it- I skimmed I skimmed one study, so that's what okay, I'll say. Yeah. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, personal opinions first. As soon as you find out Santa's not real, you question everything. Oh, the Easter Bunny, the then you're like God. Is this a lie too by the grownups? Like I feel like you just lose kind of trust. And then the second thing, I actually I have an uncle who was upset about it enough as a kid and he my cousin she grew up without santa claus they never told her the lie they were like yeah other people tell their kids this so when she's in like kindergarten first grade she's being told to not spoil it for other kids and she never was had the santa claus experience did she ever spoil it for other kids no i I think she was like like surprisingly i feel like a lot of kids don't spoil it as much as you'd think but but i do think personally I think it's a nice, like, fun thing to do. And I don't really think it harms too many kids, but maybe I'm wrong. What what did you see? So I've heard people say that from a psychological perspective, that if you tell kids that Santa's real and then they eventually find out that you're lying, that that's not good because then they start questioning everything you say. But then I was reading online and everybody can look this up and make their own judgments, but there was a study that showed that they interviewed kids and they said, do you resent your parents in any way for not telling you that Santa Claus was like a legend and and wasn't real? And it was like 100% of them said that they were happy that their parents lied. Yeah. I remember the Christmas after I was sure Santa wasn't real. Christmas just wasn't as special. It's not as awesome. No. I think... As a child, it's one of those things that like, even as you get older and you start to realize that it's probably not real, like you just hold out hope. Yes, absolutely. It is. And I think for every Christmas where 
the child, me, for example, where I walk downstairs and see my parents like wrapping the only gifts that I think Santa is, is putting out. Yeah. I think at that point, like I probably already uh, yeah. had a pretty good idea that Santa wasn't real, but this was just like that last moment where there was no more, yeah. there was no more hope for it. That was the final straw. Something died inside of Slavo <laughs> that so, day. Something died inside of me. I was just, my dreams of becoming the next Santa Claus. <laughs> yes, that was such a thing. Okay, you know, uh, I mean, Santa Claus, because you, you think about Santa Claus and he's just like such a good, jolly yeah. figure. Like, why wouldn't you want to be that? Like, especially me. Yeah. I, I don't Maybe some of our listeners can relate to this. I don't know about you, but like <laughs> the idea of just like going around, eating cookies, drinking milk. <laughs> that sounded good to me. I was like, I love chocolate chip cookies. I didn't even want to leave any out for Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like can we make a second batch <laughs> like yeah. leave some for santa then we can eat some i mean i assumed you did yeah we did non-negotiable yeah but the other thing i do remember when i believed in santa the night before was so magical and i would like look up into the sky looking to see his reindeer mm. did you do that like nasa had the northern mm-hmm. tracker yeah and there's like websites now even now that you can go to um yeah. another Santa related myth type thing. Did you ever do elf on a shelf? I didn't. I, and I feel like that's been more recent. Did you? No. Okay. So what elf on a shelf is for those who do not, not know, I don't know if this is like an American thing. I don't know if this is a modern thing. I had never heard of it. Yeah. I've seen it on like YouTube and like memes about it, but yeah. People give us the deeds. People say that it's like one company that does it. So I don't know if it's like, it's like Valentine's Day. It's like one of those things that just kind of started out of nowhere. But the the big elf business. (laughs) It was started by Will Ferrell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all in then. But Elf on a Shelf is basically like, it's these dolls. And you supposedly, because the idea is that Santa's watching you to put you on the naughty or nice list. That's his disciplinarian coming out from St. Nicholas. Mm-hmm. which we'll go back to, but yeah, Santa's watching you to f- find out if you're naughty or nice. And so the elf on the shelf is one of his elves who's spying on you to make mm-hmm. sure that you're being nice. So if you're being naughty, the elf will, and this is what the parents tell the kids is that if you're being naughty, the elf is going to spot you and he's going to report back to Santa. Okay. That's I'm out on this. That's maniacal and creepy. I don't want to be sitting there having some Charlie-ass doll fucking looking (laughs) at me. Have you seen the elf on the shelf? It's so creepy looking. And not only that, so the way that it works is during the Christmas season, you hide the elf on the shelf somewhere in the house. And then the kid wakes up in the morning and like goes and finds it. And it's like every day the child goes and finds it. And then the next day it's somewhere else in the house. So you're like haunting. You're literally haunting oh, your this children. Is a, yeah. This <laughs> <with> is, <itself. laughs> I don't want this for my kids. And this is kind of how the Santa Claus legend works is people can like add their stuff and this elf on the shelf thing, people could love it. And then 30 years from now, everyone could be doing it. 
I think it's kind of emblematic of the Santa Claus legend and how people just kind of add stuff. Some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. And it comes from all these different ideas, but this one I'm going to be against <laughs> personally. We're not going to, we're not going to propagate it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but it wouldn't shock me if this was a marketing scheme by the NSA to encourage the use to be desensitized to being monitored all the time. I don't know. This is, I'm just shooting out this theory right now, but <laughs> this is fucking creepy. I, I think we need to find out who the key investors are in this off-the-shelf company. <laughs> Follow the money. <laughs> Follow the money. Let's figure out who these... I mean, the elves are like unnecessarily creepy. <laughs> they are. They're really creepy. And uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. I've thought about it. And I was like, eh, I guess off-the-shelf could be cool. And the same thing where I'm like, oh, like the legend of Santa is another yeah. thing that I think would be cool for my kids. I guess I'm not really sure yet, but this is one of those things. You make a great point where what we find with the legend of Santa Claus is, is that there are so many cultures. It's this melting pot of ideas that came together and then some of them just stick and we'll go into it. There's like certain, there's certain points where somebody just introduces this idea about Christmas and then it just sticks. And then that just becomes what it is going forward. So this elf on a shelf thing in, hundred years, it could just be like completely ingrained in culture. And then people, and then we're going to be in our rocking chairs and we're going to be like, oh, back in my day. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. on the shelf wasn't real. <laughs> yeah. Back in the good old days. I guess the one scenario I do like elf on the shelf, if the kids are older and they know it's not really real. If you have like a one-year-old who's like terrified of this doll, that's like, like that's where it's knife. fun. <laughs> that's where it's fun. I think if the kid's not scared of the elf, then they won't be nice, right? Because the whole point is that they're nice. Yeah, like maybe find better ways to like raise your kids and terrorize them. <laughs> the joy, the fun is the fear. <laughs> oh boy. Do you want to get back to St. Nick? Sure. So, so we're back to St. Nick. So this idea kind of expanded where he put the gold, you know, through the window, whatever it expanded to it. He threw it through the window and it landed in the stocking. And so then in this town and around this town, and again, this is, you know, people don't have like the historical records obviously aren't that succinct. And a lot of these ideas may be embellished, but basically people started leaving their stockings up and this Nicholas fellow would put little like gold in their stockings, but then it became neighbors were just helping neighbors where everyone was just would leave stockings nice. and people were just giving stuff. And it was like I a very that. like giving atmosphere. Yeah. And that's something that like what, which is pretty impressive is that what he spawned was this idea of around Christmas time that people were just kind of like giving to each other. They're giving to children there. It's this time of year where it's th that it's that magic of Christmas where people are giving to those who are less fortunate to them, like specifically children. And that is what, and it's and a lot of it is in the name of St. Nicholas where he was the patron saint of children. And he was the patron saint. He was also, he was the patron saint of a lot of things. Sailing. Archery. <laughs> <laughs> the patron saint of travel. Which, which I guess if you if you think Santa Claus flying around the world, then travel yeah, I guess makes yeah. sense. We can fast forward a little bit. Saint Nicholas, mm -hmm. he is buried in Myra. They set up like a basilica around him in Myra, 
And then fast forward to the 11th century. And interestingly enough, in Italy, they were trying to boost the tourism business. And they were like, how do we boost the tourism business? And back in the 11th century, a big way was if you had like a church that people wanted to go to, you would go and visit whatever city it was. So they were like, well, we need to have a church that people want to go to. And everybody loves the St. Nicholas guy. So what if we have a church of St. Nicholas here in Bari, Italy? And then people, and then this was, this was also the time of the crusades. So people would be like crusading, but they would stop on their way in Bari. If they like could make this church, that was like this tourist attraction. This is real. So what they did was, and they had the same idea in Venice too, supposedly like around the same time they went and vandalized the tomb of St. Nicholas in Myra stole some of the bones brought it back to bari they beat the people from like i guess the people from venice didn't end up getting any of the bones took his bones back to bari and then created a a church for saint nicholas in bari and then it actually happened like people would go they'd be on their way to the crusades and they would stop in bari and like it was like big for the city wow what a time so we have people who are passing through bari and they're crusading so they're fighting for their religion and mm-hmm. some entrepreneur was like you know what would really sell <laughs> you know what people really want mm-hmm. what need we can fulfill is having the bones of saint nick yeah the bones of saint nick and they did it like they went out there and they like broke into the tomb and they took the bones of saint nick and then they've done testing years centuries later they tested the bones in each of the basilicas mm-hmm. in bari and in myra and they're of the same person Wow. Like, it's, so like it's, it's confirmed. Yeah. They're not even being dishonest. These are the same bones. Wow. So, so, so if you want to see Santa's bones, <laughs> <laughs> you can, uh, <laughs> you can go to, uh, you can go to Italy or you can go to Turkey and you can, and you can go pay pilgrimage to uh, St. Nicholas's uh, grave. Interesting. But yeah. So as time is going on, St. Nicholas is being worshipped in all sorts of cultures as the kind of patron saint, as this uh, emblematic figure of gift giving. Mm -hmm. A lot of times on like December 5th, December 6th, it wasn't quite yet on the December 25th, at least early on um, in a lot of these, I believe. Yeah. So December 6th, was St. Nicholas Day. And over time, people celebrate. I think in some countries, people still do give gifts to kids on December 6th. Like I think Belgium might be one where on December 6th, they still give gifts to kids. I think there's Mm -hmm. some countries that they do it on December 6th and December 25th. Nice. I think like as a, from an American perspective, it by the time it got to America, it, December 6th, it kind of blended into December 25th. Mm-hmm. And that's where as time goes on, all these cultures are kind of, are kind of blending in, like we've talked about before, where St. Nicholas, this legend of St. Nicholas is, is coming together with um, all sorts of different other legends. Mm-hmm. So in, uh, 
Netherlands? In the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Sinterklaas. Yep. Which is, which uh, you have to assume is the origin of Santa Claus. Uh, how can it not be? And, and I have a picture up of Sinterklaas and very impressive, very Bishop looking, I will say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early on the images of Santa Claus, he, he looked more religious and more like a Bishop. He wasn't necessarily overweight. I mean, they, they weren't giving him cookies yet. So yeah, he was much know, more he was, of a, yeah. much more of a religious figure in England. It's father Christmas. And in England is kind of where the idea of the idea of the Christmas spirit related to mm. um, Claus, like the blending of the Christmas spirit and the the Saint Nicholas and Claus, Because I think so. Chris Kringle, the name, mm-hmm. comes from Chris Kringle, something along those lines, which is Austrian and German translation of Christ Child. Which was yep. the which was the gift bearer? So I think that's where the name Chris Kringle comes comes from. Is it's like this kind of translation of a Austrian German name for the gift giver. It kind of shows how the ideas get blended. And Chris Kringle, by this translation, was derived from like baby Jesus Christ. But no one, when they think of Chris Kringle, thinks of or I don't certainly think of a, a baby Jesus. It's just the name stock. People liked it, Chris Kringle. And now we're rolling with it. The, yeah, it's definitely like the origin of the name. It definitely loses itself. I don't know what the exact period of time is, but I think over yeah. some amount of time, the name, the name definitely, or the origin definitely loses itself. And then all people can think about is, is what they, is what they see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pushing things a little more modern, like thinking yeah. about the modern Santa Claus that we're thinking about now. Yep. We can kind of go back into the, I'd say like the 1800s were like a really big time. Yeah. 1800s and early 1900s, that's where like kind of the modern, certainly Western American Santa that you and I are familiar with was really evolved. Yeah, because people like kind of thought of Santa as this, is he wasn't in red necessarily. No. And he he wore like a green fur coat and he wasn't necessarily like big and, and jolly. He was just kind of like an older guy, but he yeah. like typically had a beard, but it wasn't always a white beard. Yep. And sometimes he was viewed as like a Dutch sailor, mm-hmm. which which was interesting. And it's like these are all things that like sound nothing like Santa Claus. Now. <laughs> no, no. But that but that's where as there was this growth in the um into the into the eighteen and nineteen hundreds, like this is where this is where we were, and then things kind of grew from there. Oh yeah. So now we think of Santa as, as a chubby and plump elf type, or we don't think of him now as an elf type figure, but actually at the time we did think of him as an elf type figure. And that was because A Visit from St. Nicholas was a poem that was released in 1823, which we may know now as, a night, as the night before Christmas. And this became, this poem was like one of the most popular pieces of literature like in the world at the time, like English literature. Yeah. And I believe he just wrote it for his kids with this celebration that was, they were starting to celebrate, but this really solidified how a lot of people viewed Santa. And I mean, can you think of a more famous poem? Like what poem do kids know? What poem can, is so familiar to so many people? I think, I think kids like really know the first two lines. I didn't realize how long the poem was. Like it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> long. It's, it's like a full paragraph. Like yeah. Two so paragraphs of writing. The night before Christmas, mom always read us the 
children's book like a night before christmas or what, what, what's it called again what do we know it as a visit from saint nicholas well, yeah well, i mean that's like the old school name but now it's called i think the night before christmas right yeah the night before christmas yeah it, and this really solidified a lot of the things like a red suit chubby jolly giving gifts and it resonated with a lot of people well the so at this time in the poem they he talks about like and i didn't realize this was that this time in the 1800s they kind of thought of santa they talk about like a miniature sleigh so it really there are these ideas that are pushed forward where this person introduced this thing so Mm -hmm. what this poem introduced and the poem is by just to make sure we cite everything correctly the poem is by clement clark moore Mm -hmm. and what it introduced was the fact that because there were ideas of santa flying around but it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily reindeer this poem Mm -hmm. introduced reindeer and a sleigh yeah yeah which are huge now for how a lot of people view santa claus and before this way back when it was saint nick like the actual saint a lot of people had him with like a white steed a horse and then washington irving who had the pen name sweet pen name i may be mispronouncing the first one but like diedrich knickerbocker (laughs) and he wrote the history of new york and he mentioned you know a sleigh going over the rooftops for santa but he you know it was a short story he didn't mention what was like carrying it or how it got over and so the night uh, before christmas solidified the the reindeer and even all their names dancer prancer dasher and vixen yeah and so interesting thing you say about him like in the in the white horse do you know what other figure in history is known for flying through the sky in a white horse deathly hollows uh odin oh yeah so there's some translation there where um of different cultures where it's this idea of this mythical figure crossing through the night sky um on a steed where but and then it became in the case of um santa claus it became reindeer and on a sleigh and at this time they kind of viewed him as an elf because elves were viewed as like these mythical people who like were capable of doing these things so he wasn't necessarily like a man at this point mm-hmm. he was kind of described as like an elf because he was mm-hmm. like a miniature sleigh and it was like mini reindeer and like the idea was like that he was small enough to like get down the chimney so he was an elf at this point yeah the idea of like the red suit that i i think it came from thomas nast in the in the late 1800s mm-hmm. yeah so he was doing illustrations of santa claus and they became like really popular mm-hmm. and then there was a company that was doing color illustrations for the first time yeah. so he got to pick a color for santa and he went with red and white yeah and i heard at the time a lot of the suits he was actually drawing this thomas nast from germany were brown suits and I even think there might've been like a little bit of confusion with the illustration and they chose red or something like that, where it wasn't like he didn't intentionally, it wasn't solidified that Santa had a red suit, but after all this, it became very solidified and people liked it. And yeah, it's the Santa we know now has that red suit. Yep. And then the, the black belt. So when you think of Santa Claus and he's, and he's got the hat and he's got the red suit with the white trim and then he's got the big black belt that yep. was introduced in the 1930s mm-hmm. through a Coca-Cola ad campaign. Yeah. They crushed it. I mean, you have red, white, and this, you know, putting Santa on the map. And this was 
because Coca-Cola was like such a huge brand in the United States, this is kind of where it was, where it's often credited of being of like really solidifying like the exact Santa Claus that we see today where mm-hmm. it's grown to the point and people just ate it up. They just loved this depiction and it yeah. was, and it wasn't an elf anymore. It was like a, a jolly, like older man. It was like the, kind of like what we envision Santa today. That was what was solidified right now or back in the thirties in a Coca-Cola ad campaign of all things. Yeah. I mean, it's great. He's a full blown superstar, which now I want to go through through a lot of the things we think of with Santa stockings, reindeer, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll go through the origin stories of like the modern Santa, but Cole, the, the kids who misbehave, they get coal in their stockings. Uh, Slavo can tell, tell you all about it, but in <laughs> <laughs> uh, coal in my stockings, absolutely not, never. So coal has a few different origins, but there has always been this thing where they give bad kids not good gifts, like twigs or rocks or garlic, and this comes from a lot of different celebrations that happened a lot around Christmas. And it's kind of like this elf on the shelf thing where we're trying to control mm-hmm. these kids. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the worst of those is garlic. <laughs> you <laughs> get garlic. Yeah, You're basically yeah. telling them they're a vampire. <laughs> Garlic's a weird one. Cole is certainly bad. And, and Krampus, this demon counterpart of Santa was known to give Cole. And so basically it accumulated that all the, the bad thing to give kids became coal because it was common at the time, you know, you had the stockings and right there was the fireplace. And so the specific origins, you know, tough to say, but it was very common that pe- that bad kids were given bad gifts and coal was very convenient. And at the time it was right by the, the fireplace. So the other big one, it is very common for people to leave cookies and milk out for Santa Yep. At night, you know, he's traveling around the world, giving gifts, giving a little treat. Some people leave carrots for the reindeer. And first of all, I will say, like the cookie monster, they did away with the cookies for the cookie monster. Um, like, are they going to do this with Santa? Are we going to start leaving him like... What are you talking about? They did away with the cookies for the cookie monster? Yeah, man. So you've been out of the, you've been out of the sesame game for a while. <laughs> so I'm it, not up to date. I'm not up to date. What happened? He, I believe he's now the veggie monster because no way. <laughs> I just, I just censored myself. He's the veggie monster now. I believe he's definitely not the cookie monster. It was promoting bad <laughs> habits. Everybody could only see the look that I'm giving Johnny. I'm making uh, piercing eye contact. Are you I, yeah. saying that he's the veggie monster now? I feel like that can't be real. I'm telling you. Yes, he is now the veggie monster. <laughs> okay, listen to this. In a 2007 appearance on Mother Stewart's TV program, Cookie Monster explained his new philosophy that cookies are a sometimes food. <laughs> He's literally the cookie monster. He's the cookie monster. He's the cookie monster. He was. His whole character was the fact yeah, he went to rehab. Cookies all the time. And so I want to say if these people try to take cookies and milk away from Santa Claus, like I will not stand for that. I will die on this hill that santa needs and deserves his cookies and milk in an interview with mbr cookie monster explained he eats everything demonstrating by eating his headset and a plate of broccoli (laughs) however upon being served sardine ice cream he says he draws the line at sardine ice cream 
<laughs> so that's where we're at on the cookie monster. And so where did the cookies came from? And again, this just, it came from, it derived from so many ideas. And one, like you said, this North God Odin, who was like in God in German mythology, people would leave hay and treats out for Odin. And then as far and with St. Nick and when they celebrate on December 6th, they would also, they would leave like drinks and food out for St. Nick. But uh, a lot of people suggest that the cookies and milk, it came from the great depression and they were trying to promote children to share with others. Somehow they said the way to, to promote this is to leave cookies and milk out for Santa Claus and his reindeer. So it was born around that same time, you know, the thirties, the great depression and people were leaving out cookies and milk for Santa. Oh, that's interesting. All right, last origin one, Christmas trees, which, you know, people take these evergreen trees and put them in and decorate them. You put lights on them. And so where did this start? In the festive season in the winter, way back when, a lot of people wanted to celebrate these evergreens because they were green all year round. It was kind of this like, hey, look, they're green. All the other trees are going to come back green. And so people would take, you know, pine, spruce, and fir trees, ancient people, potentially way before Christianity was ever a thing. And they also believe these evergreens would keep away like spirits and demons <laughs> and ghosts. <laughs> and I think, you know, this is what people call the pagans, basically like non-Christians and Christian nations. And this just kind of got adapted into the Christmas holiday. And I think the Germans were largely credited with kind of the modern Christmas tree. And this is wild. Martin Luther, who was like the Protestant reformer, I think created the Lutheran church. He was credited, was added, adding lighted candles to a Christmas tree. So before electricity, they would like hang candles on a Christmas tree. That's such a horrible idea. I can't think of anything that is more flammable than a Christmas tree. <laughs> yes. Pine Christmas needle. trees. Have you ever heard the saying, it lit up like a Christmas tree? Christmas trees catch fire so fast and they would fucking hang candles. Wait, that's where that saying comes from? Lit up like a Christmas tree? I thought it was like lighting a Christmas tree. I think it's how fast they light up. And we always burn our Christmas tree and those things catch fire Wait, fast. you burn your Christmas tree? But yeah, at the end of the year, we go out to the fireplace. Like not, not like a ritual. We don't like sacrifice Bambi, but we, we, go, we like use it as firewood. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> you said that. That's if you let your Christmas tree on fire. <laughs> Wait, but you, you take it out to the fireplace and you light it. And then- yeah. It, like you just, uh, I presume you just light some of the needles and then it just. Yeah, it absolutely lights up. I mean, we chop it up. We do that with everything, like old furniture, anything, anything that's wood, we'll chop it up and bring it out for firewood at some point. That's pretty awesome. I, yeah. I've never thought to do that before. I think. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But quickly about where Santa lives in North America, Santa is supposed to live in the North Pole. But in Scandinavian countries, a lot of Scandinavian countries, they. Um, and I could be wrong here. Somebody from a this is my internet research. So somebody from a Scandinavian country could easily, somebody from Sweden could be like, that's totally wrong. Like we don't, <laughs> that's not how we think, but there's places in the country that Santa supposedly lives, that Santa Claus supposedly lives. Yeah. And I hear the North pole came from, it was always known Santa lived in a far off kind of distant world. And at the time there was a lot of research being done in the North pole. And that was kind of, and so it was in the news and it kind of became popular that, oh yeah, like that's where Santa lives. So. Yeah. Okay. So here's a question for you. Knowing what you know about Santa Claus, 
<laughs> if somebody gave you the opportunity to like go to the North Pole for free and try to find Santa Claus, would you do it? Okay. Um, <clears throat> and if you did no. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first of all, like I would, um, if they're paying me, like they're like giving me a million dollars and it's a okay, job. Okay. okay. They're going to do it. Like but I don't, want you to be, I don't want you to be incentivized to do it beyond like oh. the curiosity. Like what's motivating you to go is like, I wonder if Santa is in the North Pole. Okay. I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't even remotely believe in Santa. So I think I would look at it as like the North Pole has got to be treacherous, tough lands. I'm gonna, it's going to be a pain to like do that adventure. I would much rather go look for like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or something you can kind of convince me is real. I would want to find Bigfoot. <laughs> I would want to like chat with Bigfoot and then I would want to leave Bigfoot alone. Nice. And not like let anybody know that he's real. Yeah. Because if Bigfoot is real, Bigfoot has gone through so much work to like not be found. <laughs> I feel like, and yeah. like, I feel like it's just, you don't want to blow the lid off it. There's already enough people that go off looking for big, big, have you watched like those documentaries about Bigfoot? When I, they like analyze like his like walking. Yeah. I've seen so much stuff on Bigfoot. I'm skeptical. I don't think any of it's believable. <laughs> they, 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 they basically, there was this one, there's like a video out there of Bigfoot and they have this guy and he's like, well, if you, if you, if you watch how he turns, he looks back at the camera and that's not how a human would do it. Oh my goodness. I know that exact video. That thing looks so much like a human. <laughs> yeah. That literally looks like if you told me to, Hey, go walk like Bigfoot. That's what I'd do. I'd be flopping my arms around, <laughs> like taking long strides. It looks like a person. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, yes, I understand that if I were walking, that's not how I'd do it. But if I was in a Bigfoot suit and I was trying to act like a not human, I, I might do that. So like, uh, oh man, those, those are funny, but yeah, I think Bigfoot would be the yeah. one that I'd want to go find still, even still, I'd like, maybe, who knows? Yeah. So we'll just talk about this quick. It's tradition in many countries for kids to write letters to Santa Claus, which I thought was crazy. Some interesting things about it is that in 2007, the French Postal Service received 1.22 million letters for Santa, or Père Noël, as it's known in France, from 126 countries. And they actually had to hire somebody to deal with the letters from Russia. So there were so many people from Russia writing letters to Santa Claus in France that they had to hire somebody to like respond because Interesting. governments make and postal services make like a concerted effort to respond to a lot of the kids. Did you ever write to the post office? I think so, but I don't know if my parents ever put it in the mail. Okay. So I did and I got responses. Like it was like a typed out letter, you know? Really? Yeah. It was great. Loved it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I think a lot of countries make a concerted effort to, they basically tell the parents like exactly how to fill out the mailing and then you, you put it in the mail. The best one I thought was Canada, Canada. They have a special postal code. You write it to Santa Claus at the North pole, Canada, H zero H zero H zero. It's the post code. And then they have um, 13,000 volunteers that like read through the letters and like write responses to them. Wow. That's awesome. Which is great. Great work. Really good Christmas spirit, holiday spirit. 
All right. So this segment, we're going to go through all the people Buzz and Biographies have covered, and we're going to put them on the naughty list or the nice list. So we'll start off with Slavo. Ooh, here we go. First person, Jim Jones. <laughs> Jim Jones. I'm going to <laughs> – Jim Jones might be like team captain of the naughty list, to be honest. <laughs> what about when he's in his 40s and he's doing all this good? He's feeding the homeless. So do I get to pick a time period and be like, hey, like, uh, oh, Jim Jones, when you're fighting – racial inequality you get to be on the nice list but when you're convincing 900 people to commit suicide on your behalf maybe you're on the naughty list <laughs> um all right so let's say let's say he's 40 years old he he is doing all this good but he's also like doing faith healings Ooh, having sex with people like not really consensually g doesn't wants to swing in here i'd like to think that even during the time periods which people thought he was you know, doing all these good things, and he was. Santa's always watching, you know. What was he doing when people weren't around? You got to imagine that that guy was up to some no good at that time. Santa knew. Mm. I agree. If we're being fair, I think we can all agree, probably on the naughty list, Jim Jones. You did a a great job playing devil's advocate there. (laughs) I think with Jim Jones, it's tough. The name just he just really rings naughty. <laughs> okay, so G Dog. Yep. Sacagawea, Sacagawea. I mean, how could you even question it? She's on the nice list. What did she ever do that was naughty? Anything? It's a good point. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> so devil's advocate for Sacagawea. She took her newborn baby on a very dangerous cross-country mission. Okay, but what was her other option? She had no other option. Sacagawea, <laughs> 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 nice list. <laughs> yeah, her, her other option was immediate death, most likely. <laughs> All right, so this one, I think a little more gray area for K-Dog. Nikola Tesla. So I've actually thought about this one, and I think naughty list. Hot, hot take, potentially. But I just can't get over that letter that he wrote about, um, who was Edison? Who? Edison? Mm. When he died, that just like scathing letter that he wrote to be published just was so mean and disrespectful that I can't. I can't imagine, maybe there's like the slimmest chance he was on the nice list, but he's got to be teetering between naughty and nice. And I think perhaps naughty given also his uh, lavish lifestyle. He was was notorious for like running up huge bills at hotels and then not paying them. It's kind of naughty. Right. So that's the, the lavish lifestyle of running up a huge bill and not paying for it. It's a, it's a naughty move. He's a bad boy. I mean, if you hate the man, maybe it's a nice move. Heard it here first from K-Dog. Tesla, bad boy. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. The other thing he did that was kind of bad, he fired his secretary for being too fat. Again, I reiterate. Everyone, everyone just collectively naughty. like looked up at the ceiling there. Was like, oh, that's not good. Nobody liked that. <laughs> but I will say, I feel like, you know, granted he's not the best socially. He did a lot of good for science, for electricity. Like he had all these great things. He just wasn't very like Yeah, but we can just say Edison did that. But he didn't, dude. AC versus DC. <laughs> 
Slavo. Yes. Vincent Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh. Ooh. Ooh. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. G G Dizzle, do you want to jump in on Vincent Van Gogh? I think I think Santa would have looked at Vincent Van Gogh and anything that he would have done potentially that would get him on the naughty list. I think he deserved some presents. Like, I think he was very depressed and troubled. And I think Santa would see that and be like, wow, this person really needs presents. I agree with that. I mean, Vincent Van Gogh was a very troubled individual. And he wasn't necessarily a great guy. He made a lot of mistakes in his life. And he maybe didn't lead, lead the healthiest life. But at the same time, I don't know. He wasn't like doing things that were so necessarily evil. He was providing art for the community and a lot of it he did get recognized but he didn't he didn't get like super wealthy off of it during his lifetime so i feel like he could have used could have used a, a favor from santa there yeah and I, yeah i like the the troubled I, I agree with the vincent van gogh he was a troubled child you like to think santa would help him on the other hand anyone who dealt with vincent van gogh like hated him <laughs> like personally people did not like Maybe him. if he had some presence in his life he wouldn't have been a bit cheerier yeah Slavo, Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro is a tough one. Um, is it? <laughs> uh, I'm going to put him right on the naughty list. Can we get a quick reminder on the bad that Fidel Castro did? Because I'm just remembering, didn't he like stay in power for like a really long time? Yeah. So. Yes. Okay. So I would say first the things he did that's good. They have great literacy rates, great education, great healthcare because they are socialist government controlled, the bad. He basically took anyone who was a political descendant or if you're gay or like a priest and he would put you in like slave camps. Yeah. Yeah. He basically, he was a tyrant. But he he's another one kind of like Jim Jones where when he was young, like he had this kind of like revolutionary vibe to him. But as soon as he, but he was really like addicted to power. Is yeah, what it definitely. ended up being. <laughs> Mary fuck kill, Santa Claus, Mrs. Claus, and Rudolph. I mean, you gotta kill Rudolph or you're weird here. Kill Rudolph I'm, for the meat. I'm, I'm fucking Rudolph. <laughs> How would you I'm killing Mrs. Claus? How would you kill Rudolph? Are you serious? How is, wanna, how is Santa gonna get his reindeer? That's bestiality. And then you can just eat him. You gonna kill Mrs. Claus? Um, what value does she have? I think it's like an obvious fuck Mrs. Claus, marry Santa Claus, Absolutely. kill Rudolph. Snuggling what Santa? What value does Mrs. Claus have? I'm obviously killing Rudolph. Sorry. For the meat. Yeah. And then uh, I would probably marry maybe Mrs. Claus has a better schedule. And then uh, you gotta fuck Santa. <laughs> This segment, I'm going to give a famous quote from a Christmas song or a movie. I'm going to give the first part, and then you're going to finish it. Slavo, I will start with you. Ooh, here we go. You're a mean one. Child. <laughs> G-Dog, do you know the answer to this? I just need to check in to make sure that Slavo is, in fact, kidding right now. No. <laughs> I'm not good with the quotes, so this is tough. You're a mean one. Mr. Grinch. 
correct. <laughs> is that right? That is right. That is right. Wow. Nailed it. Good, good job. All right. One point for G-Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll give this one to K-Dizzle. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is? Sing loud for all to hear. From? Elf. Nice. Good job. This one, it might require group effort. We elves try to stick to the four main food groups. What are they? Maple syrup, pasta, nope. M&M's, and... Sugar. Sugar is one of them. <laughs> is it candy. chocolate? Candy. It's, candy is it's, one of them. Syrup is one of them. Here are the four. Here's a quote. We elves try to stick to the four main food groups, candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. <laughs> to be honest, I was just thinking about the uh, pasta concoction that Elf made in the movie where he mixed up the maple syrup and candies with the pasta. <laughs> Classic scene. How cute was it when he made the lunch to go for his mom and it was a pasta in a bag? <laughs> what a sweetheart. This one, I don't think anyone will know, but I'll just try it. Bye, buddy. I hope you find your dad. Wow, you know that one. <laughs> we say that like quite a bit. <laughs> say that pretty often. Bye, buddy. I hope you find your dad. <laughs> okay, and I want to go back to the, this is the song like about the Grinch where they, it just has hilarious lines from the Grinch song. You're as cuddly as a crocodile. Close barong. Can I chime in here? Is it cockroach? No, it's close. You got it's it's a C. You're as cuddly as a cactus? Bingo. Wow. Good job. Okay, this one I'm gonna give this back to G Dog. G Dizzle. G Dizzle. You have all the tender sweetness of a Oh, I'm gonna I have literally no idea. You have all the tender I know one sweetness line of, this song, of uh, and I was hoping you would see it. Crocodile. Do, 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 do. Okay, Slavo, this is from Home Alone. Shit. Keep the change. You filthy animal. Yeah. Let's go. Okay, this is a fun one. Grandma got run over by a reindeer walking home from our house Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa. Wait, I, I'm out. Who else? But as for me and Grandpa, we believe. Bingo. Nice. Okay. This one, Merry Christmas to all. And that to all, crazy. a good night. Happy holidays. Goodbye, everyone. Woo-hoo.